it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me, which is privacy. Moving money around, moving information, sending messages in today's world with Web 3.0 coming down the pike. Privacy is very critical, especially to a journalist like myself. Utopia P2P is a complete privacy ecosystem. It's a 360-degree approach to privacy. It includes everything you need to move information or value around the world. It includes a encrypted messenger service, an email platform, and cryptocurrency payment system. It's fully decentralized, so it's not on any main server. It's based on blockchain, so it's distributed. It has an unmatched level of security. It has a feature-rich toolkit on the system uh, that supports 28 languages. There's a very low barrier to entry, and it also supports Bitcoin and also their coin internally. So if you're looking for a way to move information and money around the world where you don't want prying eyes uh, looking at what you're doing, go to Utopia P2P and have complete privacy on their system. And now let's get to our guest. Welcome back to Information Operation. I'm, I'm excited about this interview today because my old colleague, when I was at the Washington Times, uh, Guy Taylor, who is the head of the national security team there, who deals daily with the Pentagon and uh, with the Hill as to what's happening in our national security establishment, he's joining us. Welcome, Guy. Hi, Todd. It is really good to see you. Yeah, so uh, it's been a while, but I, I thought I wanted to, you're, you're a, a resident expert in Eastern Europe and what's happening in that part of the world. You, you've spent time traveling, doing stories in the Middle East, et cetera. Um, tell us what your opinion is of the situation with this obvious tensions that are, that are rising up in that part of the world. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of a scary moment right now. Um, I think we, uh, it surprises me as I watch this because I covered um, 2014 uh, in the sort of like the first sort of blast of Putin's um, revanchist Russia push mm -hmm. and the annexation of Crimea at the time. And I think things have changed a lot in the, the um, transatlantic geopolitical dynamic for in sure. seven years since then. So now that we have um, uh, this brinkmanship again, um, it's a really different kind because we've had Brexit since then. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a, a, a rise of a, of a sort of aggressive, albeit conscientious, right wing in Europe, EU politics mm -hmm. uh, in, in Italy and in France and in, in Britain. I mean, you know, yeah. this is something that the sort of neoliberal establishment in those places never would have imagined. So that's happened, and then I and and I think that affects um, that affects Europe's posture because those countries are in NATO, you know. Right. So, sure. Uh, and we've also had uh, a a pendulum swing twice now in U.S. politics. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and Putin has grown more powerful in that uh, seven year period. So so when I'm watching it, um, I think it's interesting. I think it's 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 a it is scary times, though, because uh, it is possible that there could be um, a bunch of bloodshed here more than we've had with the sort of frozen conflict in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. And I don't think anybody necessarily wants that. <laughs> and uh and that's never good. You know, we covering national security and world affairs for in the English language for an American a world audience. Really, I write I write the Washington Times gets read all over the world. And we you know, whenever you have wars that start or spin and spiral, it's it's the possibility of just avoidable uh, carnage that that is hard to fathom. So that's where we are. Uh, that's where we are right now. Yeah. Well, let's get down to the, uh, I guess, the grassroots here. So you've got really kind of a, for our audience's sake, you, you, I'm sure you know, you, you're aware of this, but you've got kind of a trench warfare almost in, in Donbass where you have artillery strikes back and forth, killing a few people a week yep. routinely. But there hasn't been a lot of territorial exchange. Now you've got a Russian troop built up, I don't know, anywhere from 100 kilometers out off the border inside of Russia. Uh, and Putin does this all the time. He moves troops around. He does these spot, you know, exercises. And you've got the Ukrainian military, which is backed by the West now and being trained by the West with high performance weapons. So what would be the uh, the tripwire in your opinion? Um, how would this kick off? Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I think that we have to tease out um, the idea, this little green men concept. So this idea and you know, this is what the Biden administration is trying to push now. And and I genuinely mm -hmm. think it comes from uh, U.S. intelligence community analysis and mm -hmm. sources inside Ukraine. It's probably verified by sources in Russia. But this idea that the Russians will will send people in that will kind of instigate attacks, whether or not they're false flag attacks or something more chaotic, they can mm -hmm. kind of stir things up and, and possibly create the impetus or, or uh, a legitimate reason or an illegitimate reason, whatever, for the Russian Russians to go in or increase what their, you know, the pace of, of uh, mortars or just to mm -hmm. basically invade in some mm -hmm. capacity or another. Mm -hmm. That to me would, would trip things off. Uh, and uh, I don't, I, you know, how quickly that would go. I mean, I think we have to, we have to like step back here and we have to ask what is it that, uh, what is it that the Kremlin wants here? Like, what does Putin right. want in Ukraine? I mean, why, why is this going on? Uh, and, and, and I know some will ask, like, you know, we, we can address questions of like, why is the United States even remotely involved in this, in this right. part of the world, right. you know, in any way involved in our vital strategic interests and national interests? You, what, what are we doing over there? We just get addicted mm -hmm. to the idea of meddling with the Russians. But, but I also think we have to ask, you know, what, what are the, what is, what is the Putin government want here and we've got and i think you know i start with is it does it about energy is it about oil and pipelines or natural gas and pipelines is it about um you know agriculture and resources this, this sort of breadbasket aspect of ukraine or is it about uh uh the russian uh mother russian sort of sphere of influence that and and reclaiming it you know that that putin or preventing nato encroachment 
before we get right. to the geopolitical yeah. side of NATO and yeah. and that, right. let's remember there are Russian speakers, uh, some in Ukraine, and there are some yeah. people there that will want some of their territory to be absorbed by Russia. So mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, um, I think that Putin has an autocratic government that has almost no tolerance for real uh, pluralism and dissent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that, yes, there are tons of intellectuals and there's a cognizenti and an intelligentsia and some free discussion in the politics in Russia. But but in terms of real serious dissent or real serious pluralist political landscape, there's no tolerance for it. And we've seen the space get smaller and smaller and smaller in Russia as Putin. Along with the media, you know, media crackdown, yeah. jailing yeah. opposition, you know. And, and so what you see right next door in Ukraine, which is really like one of the most prolific uh, and, and uh, active and advanced, frankly, of the former Soviet republics, you see the seeds of this pluralism. I don't care who started it. And I, I would argue that the United States is not behind it, per se. The mm -hmm. concept of a free society, an enlightened free society like the West, United States might inspire it. But the reality is there are lots of people in Ukraine that don't want to have an autocracy, don't want to be under Putin's thumb, don't want to be under Russia's thumb, and frankly themselves want to have a government that that joins an alliance, a military alliance of those, those countries. So there we get to NATO. That I think is incredibly threatening uh, to uh, uh, that that sort of mother Russia crowd. I was going to say just to Putin. I don't. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't think Putin feels very threatened at the end of the day. He's kind of a strong man. Yeah. One of the most dynamic and interesting leaders in the human species of, of our lifetime. Sure. But, but really, uh, is kind of is threatened. I think his his form of government is threatened by the prospect that right next door, in the most influential really, I guess, wealthiest and ad most advanced former Soviet Republic, you would have this sort of like, you know, France, U.S. style mm -hmm. government where dissent is encouraged. Let people, you know, government is really small, actually, and people are chaotic and they can join whatever party they want and they can criticize the leadership. If that were to take hold and really work in Ukraine and there was integration between Ukraine and Western Europe, mm -hmm. it would be a lot harder, I think, for uh, the Putin government to keep a lid on that inside Russia. And, and yeah. so that, that would be a motivation to go in. And then finally, I think um, that pipelines and energy do have something to do with it. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just having, having, uh, we can get into that a little bit more in a second, but, but that's it. That, that, why does Putin uh, want to go in and, and is it really happening? I, I think it is. There is this buildup. And then he's got this like strategic calculus right? where he holds the cards at this point. And, and we'll see where, where it goes. Well, I understand that you, speaking of pipelines, that Ukraine is uh, short on gas because the, the gas that, they're, that they can pull out of the earth is much more expensive than the people can pay for. So, mm. But I, do you think, I'm of the opinion that the cost would be too high for Putin to move into Western Ukraine just because the money issue, um, you know, he's barely been able to maintain Crimea's from a financial standpoint. I mean, they're still trying to push tourists down there and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. um, but I, I think too, what's um, that? There's political cost. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, there's a high cost. You know, that was in my what's changed since 2014 is the Ukrainian yeah. military has gotten a lot more ready to fight. 
exactly. And yeah. you're going to, you're going to have like a thousand casualties on the Russian side quickly. Easy. Yeah. That, yeah. Maybe more. And that's going to, I, the question, you know, is how is Putin going to be able to sell that um, at home? Because as autocratic as it is in Russia, um, information still moves around. You know, it's not yeah. like it, it, it's not North Korea. So um, you still have the mothers' movements where they they try to track right. down because they have these roaming crematoriums that go around and burn the bodies when they get killed in Donbass, and the mothers get a telegram or whatever. They don't know where their kids buried, all that kind of stuff. So you have that kind of mothers' movement against war in russia but um so what about the uh for lack of a better term the corruption in western ukraine i mean it's obviously there do you think there's anything on that side of the government that's trying to instigate this or at least try to get a reason for more weapons to be sold into ukraine and that kind of stuff yeah i, I don't know you know so i don't mm -hmm. i've talked uh with um people who do know about that and I hear about mm -hmm. it, but I, I'm not in Kiev writing about it. I'm not covering it. So I don't yeah. want to dodge it. It, I wouldn't, uh, I, I think it's entirely possible that, uh, mm -hmm. first of all, we know that there's major corruption and we also know that, uh, I thought it was interesting. We can get into Biden in a second, but there was yeah. something that, that, uh, that Joe Biden said, this week in his, you know, or right before we recorded this, you know, about this, where he was talking about the question of whether or not Ukraine could go to NATO. And his response was about that really NATO wouldn't accept Ukraine at this point because yeah. of issues like, he didn't use the term corruption, but just the reality is, yeah, there's a lot of corruption. So that does expose, I think, the government in Kiev to these questions of what is your motivation? You know, I mean, I've just chewed your ear about right. why Putin, you know, my my U.S. journalist perspective of why Putin might want to go in. Um, but what, why, um, yeah, what are the motivations of the the West, the government in Western Ukraine? That's a, it's a great question. And I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. it, I wouldn't dispute it. Let's put it like that. So how does Nord Stream 2 tie into all this? Um, it's obviously taking money out of Ukraine. So possibly, yeah. um, if they don't get the transit fees, um, right. and there's talk that Ukraine may have to siphon off gas from the Russian pipelines to Southern and central Europe. Um, is, is that playing factoring into this at all? Do you I think? think to an extent, I mean, I, I think that, uh, the pipeline stuff is pretty complicated. Because as mm -hmm. soon as you figure out one little piece of it, you realize then it's interconnected with another big piece somewhere else. And you look yeah. at the uh, cutters sort of rise, like Doha, their rise yeah. on the sort of global charts of who's producing the most. And, mm -hmm. and then you think about Russian policy in, in the Middle East. And, and so, you know, the extent to which um, Russian gas going to the EU is is somehow affecting things. Um, in some capacity, absolutely. But I, I don't know that, you know, I don't know if that's going to de-incentivize or demotivate the, the government in Kiev from wanting to fight. I think that, that we have the, we could hearken to the former uh, Yugoslavia and the way that we have mm -hmm. In Ukraine and in between Russia and Ukraine, you know, you don't have very divided uh, people. And now, after the last 
seven years, it appears yeah. as if the seeds of division are really there. And so I don't know yeah. how much gas prices at some point it's like, who cares? I this is we're gonna fight over uh politics and ethnicity and land more than or you know, that'll just be inflamed by by um gas prices in Ukraine. But I don't know. Let me try and clarify something else. I look at the gas issue from another perspective, which is, and I think maybe after this, we could go to, to analyzing the Biden response here, but it's this idea. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. If the Russians go in, it seems obvious and I could be wrong. Um, it, there are few people have argued this. I, I would draw attention to like Brett Stevens. He did a pretty interesting piece in the New York times about this. He's the guy who was at the Jerusalem Post for years and then at the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's another commentator. And, and it was this idea that uh, Russia goes in and then the U.S. is stuck. And its response is to exert, try and you know, exact these massive sanctions that isolate Moscow and, and really punish the Russians. And then, it, and then like the obvious prediction then is that Moscow would turn around and uh, jack the price of fuel going, of gas going to into EU countries, jack it way up. And, and that that then creates a situation where the countries of the EU uh, begin to question their allegiance to NATO uh, and whether or not they're going to yeah, stand sure. with this American charade uh, or or not, you know, and and there you've got Putin achieving not just uh, more influence in Ukraine, but maybe breaking the spine, so to speak, as that's how Brad Stevens put it, of NATO, which is that the actual alliance, the alliance between right. the U.S. Yeah. and European countries, you know. Um, so that's that's where I think Nord Stream fits into it because. Uh, the Germans are stuck on this. I mean, on one hand, they fought with Biden saying, don't sanction us. You know, we've got all these wealthy former politicians who are making money on, on finishing Nord Stream, Gerhard Schroeder and others. And, and please don't sanction it. We should just finish it. And we want the cheap. We want good relations with the Russians. And then on the other hand, now all of a sudden you'll have a situation where uh, the Germans are, are, you know, facing higher and higher prices from Russia they're trying to finish this pipeline. You're just going to have more division between Berlin and Washington over energy policy, over everything. And I, and I think, is that what Putin wants? And, and that's really how Nord Stream fits into it. I mean, this is Nord Stream is yeah. a real fight in Congress in Washington. Um, and what's interesting is that uh, I think that the some of the smartest of the and most sort of hawkish of the uh, the Republican Party have have kind of uh, safely bet that in the privately there are a lot of centrist Democrats that agree with them that uh, both first Trump, but then who didn't at the end of the day. And then Biden should have just sanctioned it and said, we're stopping. We, we don't want this pipeline. Yeah. Bad writings on yeah. the wall. Everybody agrees. And, you know, it's great that Germany has its position, but we're going to tell them. You shouldn't do this. The U.S. is against. It's not. Maybe, maybe there's maybe there's a cost to turning off all your nuclear power plants and. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a on Russia. The United States would exert uh, economic the economic instrument of power, the diplomatic instrument that mm -hmm. we uh, we haven't seen happen. But yeah, then then getting to Biden's response. I mean, let's go back. Yeah, it's important too that that I mean, like I'll criticize Biden up and down, but. That doesn't necessarily mean that I support how Trump handled it. I, you know, so yeah. but the focus on Biden, Biden promised 
he ran on a campaign that he was going to get tough on Russia and Putin. I mean, that was mm -hmm. like part of his thing. And now here we are. And it's sort of like, um, you know, a minor encouragement. It's great. That was really stunning <laughs> to me. I mean, I, I heard that and I thought, oh, he, you know, I have to give Joe Biden credit for doing a two hour press conference. I'll give it to him. <laughs> it was OK because he pulled it off and he kind of yeah. think he made people sort of eat their words on the senility argument and whatever or or not. But he did it two hours. But there were a few times where he veered off script and script and, and what I would best you could call it like a Trumpian way. Suddenly he was saying things where you're like, I, I don't think he meant to say that. Uh oh, do we yeah, yeah. go with it or not? And and one was that where he basically said, Well, it depends on what the invasion looks like. You know, it could be it could be a small kind of thing, or it's a little bigger and we argue about it. And I just thought, yeah, he's um just waiting for Putin to decide what move to make. And if you've got a Pentagon yeah. as well as a private sector um in Washington that's advising that Pentagon through the pendulum swings of the last 10 years, again and again and again, that in the in the post-post 9-11 era, the United States is facing a new period of 20, it's 21st century great power competition, and you need to be prepared for it and prepared in every realm from cyber to public diplomacy to hard conventional military. And Biden hasn't gotten the memo on that somehow because what he's doing is hindering. Yeah. And I think Putin, who's been in power now uh, a lot longer than any Democratic leader in the world, um, now that Angela Merkel is off the stage, uh, and who ha is understands the landscape, really, from the end of the Cold War right to now, He's having a field day with sure. the onset of this great power competition. And the United States needs to figure that out if it's going to. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I think you you leave these countries that are in the middle uh, and and you leave them to the influence of others who are willing to exert uh, power in ways that you're just not doing it. And those others are, you know, Russia, uh, China. And mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that Putin is going to go to the Olympics. He's, you know, the Russian media has made this big deal out of how he's going to have a summit with uh, Xi Jinping. Um, the timing of that is, is related, I think, to a lot of the brinkmanship going on around Ukraine. Um, it's a lot of theater, that's for sure. I'm not sure how strong that alliance is, but um, right. it is right now. It's a great, yeah. Yeah, I'm not either. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's an interesting moment, though. Well, thank you for that. Um, so besides your columns in the Times, I know you do a few other things. How can people find you and get your analysis on different subjects? Yeah, well, you, I uh, am on um, Arabic television probably every week debating uh, people about, you know, the extent to which um, U.S. policy is effective or not in the Middle East and oftentimes mm. standing up for uh, just freedom and pluralism and uh, free mm -hmm. uh, and uh, free government and and whatnot. But mm -hmm. I uh, and then at the times we uh, are um, I'm sometimes doing Washington Times Foundation events uh, as well. Uh -huh. Stuff can all be Googled where I talk about things like the sea lines of communication that bring you know oil from the Gulf of Guinea to U.S. allies in Northeast Asia. And, the Gulf of Guinea, that's something that doesn't make the uh, English language press very often, but it'll be pretty much the heartbeat of the global economy by the time we're old and dying. That's the, huh. where Nigeria is located there, yeah. So uh, 
you can find yeah, the my foundation does, the foundation does a lot of interesting work with North yeah. Korea and the Pacific and all Absolutely. that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but but uh, I'm really glad to come on, Todd, and I am flattered that you asked me, and I hope to be back. We'll do it again sometime. Thank you for your time, guy. Take care.